we're on the second week of our series in uh, what the heck is the church? I think it's a great question. Um, and in an attempt to answer that question, today we're talking about fellowship. Now, because um, fellowship is one of those things, it's one of the four things that we see in the early church that it's like one of the pillars. Like it's one of the things that they devoted to, devoted themselves to practice regularly. Um, and having said that, I'm going to start off with a little confession, all right? Uh, it's good for the soul, so I hear. Um, and so when I signed up to preach on the topic of fellowship, uh, I thought this is going to be easy. I thought, man, like, because I, like, like, I lived this. I grew up in the church. I experienced this, you know, like, especially, like, in the immigrant church. If you, like, grew up in an immigrant church, you, you know what I mean? Like, whether it's, like, Chinese, Latino, Pinoy church, like, it's, like, we, we, all we did was, like, fellowship. It was, like, 20% Jesus and, like, 80% food and like hanging out. You know what I mean? Like, and literally, I like this is like my Sunday routine. We got up, we got ready, we had like a service, and that was like, you know, and we just hung out for the rest of the day. Um, our previous church that some of you are a part of, like when we were house church, like we, we did our service in the garage, in the driveway, and, and then we ate lunch and we just hung out. 20% Jesus, 80% Nintendo Switch, you know, and it was like, uh, and so I'm just gonna go on record and say all that stuff is good. It's really good. I would even go on and dare say that it's holy, all right? And because um, hanging out, like hanging out and being friends with one another and genuinely enjoying each other's presence, spending time together with, with one another, like that's important. That's, that's part of our human discipleship. Human, that, that's part of what it means to be a person created in the image of God. But here's where the fellowship, or uh, here's where the confession part comes in. Like when I signed up for this topic, I wasn't think. I, I was just thinking about it. I was just thinking about like the sweet memories of and nostalgia and, and like just youth group and childhood and all that stuff. I wasn't processing the topic of fellowship uh, with fear and trembling. Um, like I wasn't thinking about how like what fellowship might mean in this like COVID post COVID world. I, at the same time, I wasn't thinking about how. Like the church, it's like everything's divided. Like the church is divided right now. Our fa- like, uh, like church and the world's divided right now. Within the church is divided right now. You know, like I wasn't thinking about how like how people have been so hurt and traumatized by the church. I was thinking about how, like all the ways that Christianity, in the name of Jesus, have been hijacked, leveraged, weaponized, politicized. And if you want to hear more about that, you can check out Matt's message from last Sunday. Um, because that's the reality that we live in. And so it would be naive of me to be like, hey, fellowship is great. I want you to be a part of it. Come on in. That would be incredibly disrespectful, <laughs> inconsiderate, because here's the bitter truth. When the rest of the world, when they think about fellowship with church people, more and more is not, how can I get in on that? More and more it's, how can I get away from that? And I don't say that like to point the blame on people who say that and think that way. Um, I say that because there's some things that I need to own up and I need to repent of. The capital C, church, has not modeled fellowship well as you see it in scripture because for far too long we have modeled a fellowship that is insulated, that is self-serving, that caters to our own uh, personal and individual even cultural preferences. And that's not what the Bible shows. And Bible shows that actually these are in conflict together, conflict with one another. 
And apparently that's not, some, that's not something that the world wants. It's been good for us, but just because it has benefited us, it doesn't mean it's a compelling vision of fellowship that embodies the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so with that, we turn our hope and our attention to God's word. Um, and actually just the biblical principle of, of what fellowship is about. And here's, here's how we're going to do that, because fellowship is a big topic, okay? Like, fellowship is one of those narrative threads that, like, kind of connect and weave and evolve throughout the whole scripture. And the Bible, start, like, the Bible starts off with a triune God who is in a relationship with itself and creates a context for fellowship with his creation. And Revelation ends with, uh, with um, the people of God having fellowship with Jesus in the church in the holy city. So it's a very cosmic idea, but yet, for us, the church is a very practical idea at the same time. So that's a lot of ground to cover. So in order to do that, in order to do that a little more efficiently, um, I came up with this uh, uh, three-step Venn diagram. Um, and um, it's originally titled, What the Heck is Christian Fellowship Venn Diagram? But I thought it was too long, so we just decided to, I just decided to call it the Christian Fellowship Venn Diagram. Um, and I, I never do this, okay? Um, this, like, this is a, bit, a little bit out of my comfort zone. And so I admit, like, it, it's, it's a working diagram, all right? And um, so feel free to dialogue with this. Feel free to just let me know how, like, your suggestions and ideas. If you're like, oh, that'll be a really good text, or like, I don't know if this fits perfectly, let me know. But let's, let's talk through it. But the goal of this is to have an idea, like, to provide you, to have some kind of tool, like a comprehensive tool to be like, so that we could quickly remember, this is what Christian fellowship is like, and how can I practice this in the real time? So I think visually having something like this would be helpful. There's, there's more to this, not just nice colors and stuff like that. Um, so the Venn diagram of Christian fellowship. So each circle represents um, one way that a follower of Jesus would practice fellowship. So, um, and so we have, the next slide should show that stuff. So here we go. Um, we have fellowship with God up top fellowship with the church, and fellowship with the word. And when there's, when there's a good balance between all three, that's the sweet spot of Christian fellowship. That's where we get koinonia. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And um, we need to be proactive in all three areas of fellowship in order to practice koinonia well. Any off-balance or movement away from the center leads to a form of idolatry and pride and arrogance. Like there's a certain ism that goes with it. Like for example, like fellowship with God, if we, if we lean too far into that, we get into legalism. When we lean far into church, we get into um, uh, isolationism or, or elitism. And, um, and or when we lean into fellowship of the word too, or fellowship of the world too much, we lean into secularism, right? Like, and so like, and each one has its own kind of like downfalls. For example, with fellowship with God, when we lean too much in that, we lose empathy and we become more judgmental. That's where we get expressions of the church that are more homophobic and misogynistic. When we lean too much into the fellowship of the church, we've gone too into our subcultural stuff. You know what I mean? Like we've become too exclusive. It's all become about self-preservation. That's where we get some of our national, like the church, uh, expressions of the church that are like, are like all about nationalism and all that stuff. We lose out of touch with the rest of the world. And this is a space where national, so this is where self-denial also occupies in that space. And lastly, with fellowship of the word, this is where we get manifestations of like, disillusionment and subjectivity, and there's a loss of sense of orthodoxy and purpose. There's also a type of like elitism here too. So, um, 
And that's what happens when we lean toward, like any movement away from the center of koinonia, it's a movement, a movement toward those kind of spaces. But however, when two fellowship circles meet, we get to observe like a special, like a specific, unique expression of the gospel. So where fellowship with God, fellowship with God and fellowship with the world collide, we get expressions of the gospel where God is making the first move toward humanity by extending his grace and mercy. This is where we get like 1 John 3.16, like the first half of it, where God so loved the world. And by the, the word that our world, world is cosmos. God so loved all of creation that he gave his one and only son. We get expressions like, like, like God created, like how we mentioned in Genesis, how God created humanity for fellowship in, with fellowship in mind. The ending of Noah, like how like God gives an image of the rainbow and says, I will no longer judge humanity. That is this. That is this. Or like Abraham, like this is like one of the kind of awkward kind of stories, like or fun, funny but just awkward. But like, there's a story where Abraham has a conversation with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom, God says, "Hey, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah." And Abraham's like, uh, "How about like, what if we have like 20? How about like 10? And how about like this many people?" And each time God's like, "Okay, okay, I, I could do with that." And so like the extension of God's mercy and grace. That's where you get that. Fast forward to like the New Testament, we think about Jesus' interaction with, with people, so many, like with Zacchaeus and the Samaritan woman. I think about all the Beatitudes, and probably like even the theological idea of common grace fits into that. And also, we also when, we, when fellowship with God and fellowship with the church collide, we get expressions of the church that are about what it means to be community and about the people of God. This is where we get the traditional ideas of church. This is where we get all like the 59 like one another's in, the, in this context. That'll fit here. And the goal here isn't, hey, let's have your needs met. But it's, it's meant to be a context for mutual ministry and service, a mutual care and love. There's a shared love and service here. This is what it means to be priesthood of all believers. And I think texts like, text like John 17 fits into this text where Jesus prays for the church and he prays for unity for the church. Another specific one that comes to mind is in 1 John, um, which, is, which has been like one of my go-to things, and I feel like it's like, for me, it's been like such a foundational book for me. Um, because first of all, it's super short and super simple and to the point. So 1 John, I'm all about that. But chapter 4, verses 19 to 21, it says this. And this, every time I go back to this, like, I, I leave humbled and convicted. It says this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So this is where fellowship with God and fellowship with the church collide. And lastly, when we think about fellowship with the church, and fellowship with the world. This is where we get, I guess, it, traditional expressions of like evangelism and all that stuff, uh, where like the gospel that is shared, like as an extension of God's love to us, to the rest of the world, right? So this is where like ideas like sharing the good news and bringing witness all come into play. But but I say that with like an asterisk because like the traditional idea of my like at least in my faith tradition, like it was like. It meant that like I dedicate my Saturday morning and like go to H Mart and like sing worship songs and give out tracks, you know? 
But it's, it's ironic because like I think like 75% are Koreans of like are Christian, so like we're we're really going after like 25, you know, um, or like or also meant like I'm spending my summers in another country, <laughs> right? And like which is good. Um, but like through the translator, I'm like letting them know that Jesus loves them. But also like my church is gonna pay for this building, you know. So like it's kind of like that kind of stuff. But when I think about like how the fellowship of the church and the fellowship of the world, when, when that collides in scripture, we get texts more like Jeremiah 29, 7, where it says, seek the shalom of the city. Seek the flourishing of the city. Or like 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, where it says um, that the spirit manifests in the church for the common good. Or again, going back to Sermon on the Mount, specifically, I think of places where it says like, don't just love your neighbor. I mean, that's like, that's like a given. Like, love your neighbor, but also love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Give to the needy. And Jesus summarizes all those ideas by saying that those who practice, and, uh, practice these principles is it, like, like building a house on a rock. It's a firm foundation. Any movement away from this is like sinking sand. And this is what Jesus meant by being in the world, but not of it. Like, I feel like, um, again, going back to my church tradition, like, I feel like that was a way of saying, like, oh, let's have an us and them mentality. But what we see in the text is, is not that. It's seek the flourishing of the city. Seek after its shalom. Seek after its well-being. Like, seek after its, like, to, to live in, in the world means that you live with compassion, you live with empathy, you live with love in your local context. And I, I don't, like, maybe it's a few months back or maybe a month back, but I think this is part of what Dave, um, when he shared about indigenous church, I think that's what it means to be a part of the city and to seek after its well-being, to love it. And this is why as a church, it's so important that we engage in matters of social justice and reconciliation and even creation care. Because all of that fits into the circle. Because by the way we love our neighbors, and by the way we love, our, love one another, and by the way we love our enemies, that is how people are going to know what the people of Jesus are all about. Now having said that, we're going to focus in on Christian fellowship, koinonia in the middle. And this is where it all comes together. In the New Testament, uh, the idea of koinonia is a very kind of specific, unique term. Like, it doesn't get used a lot, actually. Uh, like, in, growing up in church circles, I feel like that was like the hot word, oh, koinonia, you know? Um, but in the church, I feel like they only use it for, I think uh, Apostle Paul used it only like 16 times. Like, it's, it's very specific. And koinonia, and, and one study used this, but I'm going to kind of elaborate on it. But one study said this. It starts off with saying, koinonia expresses a shared participation in Christ the bond, Christ, the, uh, the bond that Christ creates between believers, and I'm going to add, and extends to the wider community. So this idea of koinonia gets summarized into English translations to like words like fellowship, sharing, partnership, contribution. But, but the deeper meaning behind it, it carries like a meaning of like ideas of like mutuality and accompaniment and commitment and, and devotion. And interestingly enough, ancient Greek philosophers, they would use the word koinonia to describe an ideal society, meaning utopia. When you look at ancient, ancient texts, Greek philosophers used koinonia to describe 
utopia. But here's the thing about the early church. Koinonia wasn't a philosophical idea. It was a reality of their context. It was a reality of their fellowship. And that brings us to our root text, our home text, Acts 2, 42 to 47, where it says, and as, I'm going to read this for us, and as you read through it, I'm going to just kind of highlight some things where it shows fellowship with God and church and with the world. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship with God, and to fellowship, one another, and to the breaking of bread, one another, and to prayer, God. Everyone, the wider community, the world, was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone had need. Not just within their community, but anyone had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple rooms, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the wider community, all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily to those who were being saved. So within this context, within this text, we see three examples of how the fellowship of church, God, and with the world all come, come, come together. Now, I grew up in a little, like, with a little bit of, like, charismatic and Pentecostal flavor, all right? And um, I feel like, uh, because of that, I feel like when, when I go back to, like, texts like these, I feel like it kind of gets, like, typecasted. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it gets, like, it just focuses on, like, the, the Holy Spirit spiritually stuff. And so, uh, going back, I, growing up, I remember reading this text and thinking, ooh, the signs and wonders, that's the cool stuff. And so we're going to figure out how to do the cool stuff, the signs and wonders, because that's what the apostles did, and that was the big show. That was the big ticket. But, but what I failed to see from this text growing up was that the community itself was the miracle. The community was the signs, and the community was the wonders. The miracle here is that the people who have no business being together were gathering together, and they cared for one another, and they loved one another, and this was koinonia. Koinonia was the signs and wonders. It was the miracle. And that is the calling and a vision of all who claim and follow the ways of Jesus. This is what we're to seek after. Fellowship, this kind of koinonia. Koinonia is about a community of people who have no business being together other than for the reason that they have been relentlessly loved by a God who has no business loving us. That's koinonia. The type of fellowship we have with God are what we as followers of Jesus are to have with fellow image bearers of God. Practically what that looks like for me is like, I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of a church that looks like a bunch of Elliot's. That's a, that'll be a huge loss uh, for all of us. All right. Um, even though like, I know Rayan loves me, but like that would drive Rayan nuts, you know? Um, that would be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> and, um, you know, and let's be honest here, you know, like, um, we don't want to be a church with, church with a bunch of yous either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the person next to you will share more about that later, right? Um, but I do want to be a part of a church where you are an important part of it. Where your presence matters. 
where your joy matters and where your struggle matters and your doubt, your questioning, your grief, your sorrow, your celebrations matter. That's, that's a koinonia that God has called us to. And that's a vision, I think, that's more compelling than anything else out there. You know, last week, Matt ended um, by asking us the question about what, what is the role of the church? And which is like kind of the, the core question that we're seeking to answer in this series. And once, when it comes to fellowship, the role of the church is simply this, to model God's love for all of humanity. That's it. That's the role of the church, to model God's love for all of humanity. No other entity in the planet has this calling. Specifically, we as a church, we are called to model God's love in, in, in the context of relationship to the rest of humanity. And for that, we really have to look no further than the cross. And i got to give props to my wife um, for bringing this to light. Because what we see what we see in Jesus is that on the cross, he, he, he's engaged with all three spheres of fellowship. Like, um, like in the moment of death, like I, um, I remember like my senior year in high school, like that's, that's my, gr- my grandma passed away and it was like kind of a couple few days process. And I remember in the last couple days, um, like she struggled to like breathe, and it was like she she went really peacefully, but there was like kind of like those gasps, and it was like a struggle to breathe. So imagine on Jesus on the cross, he's struggling for each breath. He's gasping. He's feeling pain, like physically excruciating pain. And with each grasp, like he's he's mustering these words to say. God, why have you forsaken me? In the moment of his like impending death, he's, he's having fellowship with God and he's being real with God about his current state. And he also, in his last grasp, he's saying, John, take care of my mother. He's looking after his own. And he grasps again, more breath, and he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He's looking out for the world. And in Jesus' last moments, he demonstrates koinonia. Jesus embodied this. And our call is to embody koinonia the way our Lord and Savior has done in his living and in his dying. The role of the church is to model this type of fellowship that looks like devotion to one another, that looks like generosity toward one another, that looks like divine care, creation care, empathy toward one another, brutal honesty with one another. And may we do this by the help of the Holy Spirit and as you do that, maybe along the way, we could play some golf and Nintendo Switch. That's all good, too. All right, let's pray. Um, Father, we, um, 
<laughs> um, we process this topic with fear and trembling. And we, we recognize that it's, this is not something that you ask us to participate in passively, but you, like, you enthusiastically invite us in. And enthusiastically, you, like, you encourage us and you spur us on toward love and good deeds with one another and with the rest of the world. And, and Father, we, um, I guess the only thing that we could ask is, Jesus, we need you to do this. I feel like right now, in the, in the times that we're living in, this is a unique call that we must, we cannot drop the ball on this. Um, because our world, our society, our culture is in desperate need for it. Um, so we answer that call. We respond to you, Jesus. Mold us and shape us into more and more to your likeness, Jesus. Amen. Um, so just to take a step back, um, I, I'm super excited about this series, uh, What the Heck is This Church? And, and part of how we came upon this uh, series in the first place was how the pandemic has been raising a lot of uh, important uh, questions about our faith and the church. And a lot of us, including the pastors, have been wondering and thinking, reflecting on questions like, well, you know, when uh, the pandemic is over um, and we're hopefully kind of inching towards that, mom uh, that moment, um, like, why bother even meeting in person anymore? Like, if we're all kind of comfortable meeting online, we can kind of just tune in on a podcast while we're, uh, while we're driving to work or school. Like, why can't we just kind of continue that? And wh why bother, you know, with all the effort of, of meeting physically in a, in a, in a, in a physical space? Um, and... Um, as we're reflecting on this, uh, you know, the, this week, last week, and the weeks to come in this series, this is kind of the, re represents some of the fruit of these discussions and these reflections. And as uh, pa Pastor Elliot noticed, uh, noted today, like one of our responses to this question has to do with fellowship and how this relates to one of the most uh, important and cherished core values of our church. Um, it, it relates so well to this core value of presence. And when our church uh, talks about presence and when our church models presence, we're not talking just about physical presence, although that's an important part of it. We're also talking about emotional presence. We're talking about being present to each other spiritually, being present to each other emotionally through the ups of life as well as the downs of life. And the reason why we do this is because um, discipleship and Christian formation, it's a relational process. It's not enough just for us to know the good, but we also have to see it. We need to see it modeled in real life. It's not just a cognitive thing, it's actually a relational thing. And certainly we can still be in relationship online, but there is something extra when we actually are, get to relate to each other in real life physically. And, and this is part of the reason why we, we kind of, and this is how we answer the question, why do we bother meeting in person uh, together as a church when we can um, do so um, online? And uh, the last thing I'll say is that, you know, just as Pastor Elliot was mentioning, I feel like part of the process of growing as a believer and uh, growing in spiritual maturity is actually, it's about 
learning from each other. It's about loving each other. It's about even being in conflict with each other and working out our differences in each other, as well as enjoying each other and having fun with each other. That the process of being in relationship with each other and in relationship with God, that's actually the process that we follow to grow in Christ. So there's so at the center of this, and of course we don't. It doesn't. Uh, if, uh, we don't believe that if we don't meet physically, it's not possible to follow Jesus. But this is really at the heart of why we want to bother meeting uh, together, because we want to be in relationship with each other, just as we're in relationship with God. And I think this is what a little bit of what um, Pastor Elliot was uh, mentioning uh, so wonderfully today about koinonia. And um, what I'd like to do is uh, transition us into time of communion. And um, part of the foundation of our relationship with each other is our shared faith, uh, which was made possible by uh, what Christ did on the cross. So accordingly, if you can tear off that top film, uh, this bread is made from many grains and many fields, yet was formed into a single loaf. In the same way, we are from many cultures and many places, but we are one body. The communion is a reminder that the body of Christ was broken so that we would be made one in him. The body of Christ broken for you. Christ broken for you. Be careful about this because I've spilled it. Now the juice of this cup contains many vines made by many hands, yet it pours freely. In the same way, let us pour ourselves freely, just as Christ modeled for us. May we be generous givers of our grace, mercy, and blessings to each other and to all. The cup of Christ poured out for you. Let's respond together with the following. Though we partake now from a distance, we long for the day to partake together in person. And though we partake now with partial satisfaction, we long for the full feast at the eternal table in the presence of God. Let's close our morning together in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we are reengaging with each other physically, um, as uh, social distancing measures are being light, uh, lessened and lifted. Um, Lord, I pray that you might... Um, Go ahead of us to carve out a, play, a way for us to reconnect with each other relationally, emotionally, uh, even physically. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we can follow this model of uh, this uh, simple and complex model of koinonia and fellowship, that we can model this uh, in our church community, that we can discipleship, uh, that we can disciple and mentor uh, each other towards greater conformity into your image through our relationality, through our connection with each other. And would you be at the center of all the connections here, we pray. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.